It's our privilege this morning to have Pastor Flick Rizel from the Rockville Church of the Nazarene with us to uh, preach the Word of God. Uh, Flick is a dear brother, and he's been pastoring that church for 127 years, and so it really is a blessing for him to be at. And we're really grateful that your congregation allowed you to skip out and come over and join us for this morning. So, brother, we bless you as you come and proclaim the Word to us this morning. You kidding me? They're trying to get rid of me. How you doing? What do you say to a church that's 125 years old? You look good for your age. That's what's good. You know what I mean? If you get to be 100, nobody says, man, you look like 100. And if you say, I'm 100, you look good for your age, right? So if you make 100, you can always be, you can always be sure that people are going to think you're going to at least look good for your age. But I want to tell you something that's very strange. I'm not joking because... Uh, I'm not really kind of bringing a, a sermon in that sense. I'm trying to bring something that I'm sharing with my brothers and sisters in Christ to a church that I have great love for because it was this church that was instrumental in discipling me and bringing me to faith in Christ. And a lot of people in the church who are not here now were used by the Spirit of God in my life. I'm going to share some of those stories with you. You remember me, Don. You're going to remember some of the people I'm talking about. Mark, you probably will. Patsy, a few of you will remember these folks, and I'll share that with you later. But um, I was, in thinking about this, it brought back a lot of memories. You know, before, when I was a younger man, I didn't have like a lot of memory stuff, man. I'm just barreling through and willing through stuff, you know what I mean? I was, I'm not a nostalgic person. But uh, now as you get a little older, you get a little bit more nostalgic. You know, you have memories, you think about things and the impact and you look back. And one of the things I've been sharing, I would say at the church, I told Todd, our, uh, my associate pastor, I said, man, I said, one of the things that I've, I found out now that I'm older in Christ is there's two things that I, I feel in my soul about Christ. And it's that he's faithful and he's true. I'm not just saying those as words. I mean, I feel the fact that he's faithful. And I feel the fact of how true he is. And it's because he's true that he's faithful. It's because he's faithful that he's true. So it's, it's a remarkable thing to look back. I actually came, well, I'll share just a few things about me because there's some things I want to share with you and they're connected. So I don't want to come up and, hey, let's talk about me. You know what I mean? But there's some things I want to share that it took place in my life that so you understand where I'm coming from and some of the things I want to share with you and speak to you. So, Lord, I just pray your presence would be with us as we get to just speak and, and glorify you, Lord. This is about you. This ain't about me. This is to glorify your mercies, to glorify your faithfulness, to glorify your grace and how you work in our lives. How, Lord, when we call upon you and we look to you and we believe on your name, that your Holy Spirit begins to make us a whole new creation. And so we lift up your name here this morning and give you all of the honor and the praise. And I thank you for this church and their faithfulness to you over the years. And as I look out and I got the chance to speak with some of these people and I see in them the faithfulness of Christ in them as they continue to pray and intercede and serve and give in this house to you. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> It was a long time I didn't really understand anything about salvation. I didn't understand anything about Christianity at all. And I can't really say whether I was really saved here in the church because as I looked back after I had been a Christian for a good period of time and I understand and understood more according to the word of God, the work of the Holy Spirit. God had been working in my life a long time before I came to believe in him. Some of you can say God worked in my life a long time before I believed in him. And... Um, there had been a number of things, and I realized in looking back that God had been granting me repentance unto life even when I didn't know that I was repenting. I, I lived a, a lifestyle that's very common now. It wasn't as common then, but uh, I was a drug addict, and you know all the things that go along with that, the crimes and the lying and the deception came from a messed up family. You know that Basically, it's the typical life now. At least that's what we deal with most of the time <clears throat> in that. But... I had been working a job and I was basically, it was, the job was pretty much just lying through your teeth all the time. And um, I told my, who was my wife at the time, we were living together at the time, I told her, I said, man, I just don't want to do this anymore, you know, and I started to get conviction about the constant lying all the time, you know. 
and I quit smoking. I was playing pool one day and stuff. I smoked a cigarette. I took it. I said, man, I'm so sick of this. I just threw it around. Just, basically, there was this work of the Spirit that caused you to just see the vanity of, of sin in, in your life, you know, like, like Solomon said. But um, somebody had given me a Bible. And when they gave me the Bible, um, I didn't really read it much. But <clears throat> my wife and I were together, or Sue and I were together at the time, and I opened the Bible in Matthew chapter 6, you know what I mean, the anxiety chapter. And I, I read there and said, you know, you look at the birds of the air, they're not store, you know what I mean, do not worry, you know, God's going to provide for them. And I, and I looked at my wife and I said, so it was my wife then, she's wife now. I said, this is a bunch of poop. But I didn't say poop. I said, if you don't work, you ain't going to eat. That was the words that came out of my mouth. If you don't work, you're just not going to eat. So I went to a store, it was Heartland, for some of you who remember Heartland, it was one of the first, it was the first food warehouse store. And a friend of mine had told me about it, we went there, we'd never been there before, and we went and we picked up a bunch of food and stuff, and Sue and I brought it up to the cash register. And the first item that she brought up, she says, what's the price of this, do you know? I said, I says, actually, I don't. She goes, I love to do this, and she passed all the food through. Now, some of you might wonder, how can God be in that so somebody just passes all the food through that's not hers? But to the crooked, God shows himself crooked. God knows how to reach us. But when that happened, I was walking outside, and 15 minutes before that, I said, if you don't work, you don't eat. It was like the Holy Spirit. I didn't know it was Holy Spirit at the time. But that impression of that thought on my mind was is that I could make this food fall out of the clouds on your head if I wanted to. Basically, I was just totally humbled. And uh, when we got home, I pulled up and uh, I, hadn't, I didn't say anything all the way home, which is not common. And uh, when we got in the driveway, Sue looked over at me and she goes, what are you thinking? I said, I'm thinking about what I said before we went to that store. And I'm telling you the truth. <clears throat> I know then what happened. All of a sudden, man, I just started to laugh out loud. It was like a joy. It was like something fell off of me. It was like something fell off my back. And I just started to laugh. And all the thought was in my mind is that all I knew was this, is that Christ was real and somehow he was trying to reach me. That's all I knew. When I was walking up the stairs with the bag of food in my arms, the Holy Spirit again, didn't know it at the time, just the thought in my mind is that, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? And so there was a long period of time in between this, well over a year, that, I, that God was actually still, now God was beginning to work my life, there was repentance going on, but I didn't understand any of it. But to make a long story short, we ended up coming to this church and uh, walked in, and Pastor Bill Taylor was the pastor at that time. And Pastor Taylor brought a word, was speaking a word. And, uh, you know, I came in, I had a leather jacket, and I had long hair and stuff. I just sat in the back of the church. But it's like, it's like I was the only person in that whole church. It was like every word he said was speaking directly to me. I know the Nazarene church might have a hard time with defining it in this way. They certainly did back then, but it's called prophecy. It's a prophetic word. When the Holy Spirit reveals a secret to somebody's heart, that's a prophetic word. And that's exactly what happened to me. And um, Pastor Taylor came over our house a few days later, and my wife and I and um, two friends of ours all prayed to Christ. They, they prayed the typical sinner's prayer, but all I said was this, and I meant it from my heart. I said, Jesus, if you're real, I'm asking you to change my life. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And he radically, I had a radical transformation. I believe that's when the Holy Spirit really filled me because the work was not so much repentance of outward sin. It was really the transformation from my, in my very soul, my, the thoughts, the intents of my heart, prejudices, fears, all of that, God just began to change in my life and, and work and transform in me. And so, so began my, my uh, sincere walk with Christ. Well, there were some people in the church here. Now, I know that most of the people that were in this church, in, in a holiness church, in a Nazarene church, they couldn't relate to what I was coming out of at all. But man, they were so gracious and loving. I saw the love of Christ in these folks, and there was numbers of people that were used. But there's a couple, and number one is Ed Swain Jr. that was used in my life. And he was just the one that the Lord used um, to kind of bring correction and instruction in a really nice way. Ed always had a good attitude. I always had a lot of fun with him. I loved the fact that he was bald. One time we were standing outside and the sun was there. I said, Ed, could you move over here a little bit? You're blinding me. And uh, we would have a lot of jokes about that. Ed was, a, Ed was a great man. But he was the guy the Lord began to use in my life to 
just bring conviction in certain ways. One time, there's, like I said, I just started going to the church and I went to Highland Park Market and I'm buying a six pack of beer, right? <laughs> I'm buying the six pack of beer, I look over, who's standing next to me in the, next to the freezer? Ed Swain, you know what I mean? Hi, Ed, how you doing? Put the six pack back and we go. But another one even more funny, I was with this friend of mine who, Tim, he had come, he was the one who came to Christ with us. We were driving right up the street here, up on Main Street when we got to the top of the hill where the light is and there was a gas station, it used to be a gas station down the bottom. I think it's still there, but I don't think it's a gas station anymore. And my car ran out of gas. I had an old 66 Chevelle. It was a convertible. It had a plexiglass back window. The thing was a piece of junk. And none of the, none of the instruments worked on it. The gas uh, gauge didn't work on it. So I ran out of gas and I go, oh no, Tim. I go, get out of the car and, and you know, uh, you know, wave these people around me and I'll just be able to put it in neutral. It goes back, it goes right into the gas station. I'll be able to get some gas, you know. So I can't see out the back window clear because it's a plexiglass window. It's all fogged up. So Tim's waving people around. People are going around, people are going around. But all of a sudden I see one car pull up close and I can see the headlights here, but I can't make out anything else. And, and I yell out to Tim, tell the jerk to go around me. Tim goes, it's Ed Swain. <laughs> So we had a lot of fun like that, and Ed, Ed had plenty of laughs over it also. But I do remember also a time, and I shared this with my own church not long ago, that Ed Swain Sr., older Ed Swain, he must have been probably 80 years old at the time, walked with a cane, spoke with a thick Irish brogue. And uh, something happened to me when the Holy Spirit spoke to me man I'd go down to pray I didn't realize you weren't supposed to go down to pray when the Holy Spirit spoke to you uh, at that time because nobody else went to the altar but you know what I'm riding the altar to heaven man I don't care God speaks to me I'm going down to cry out to God so I was doing this all the time not realizing that it wasn't the general practice of the church but I didn't know about that and I personally I really didn't care too much you know because when the Holy Spirit would speak, the enemy would be right there too. You know, what's everybody else going to think about you? And you know what that made me do? I'll tell you what, I don't care what everybody else thinks about me. I'm going to get in the presence of God because I know he spoke to me. Well, in either case, there was people that were gracious and kind, loving people, good people, who'd come down and pray with me. And I was coming out of some pretty heavy stuff, you know. And I, and I joke about this because this wasn't well. But I got people on my left praying, let go, let go. And I got other people on their side saying, hang on, hang on. Nobody knows what they're doing. But they're trying their best, and they love the Lord, and it was, a, it was a blessing to have that happen. But I got up one of those times from the altar, and I got up from an altar. I was like on this side of the altar, and I stood up, and the church had been mostly empty, and old Ed Swain came down, and he had his cane, and he comes limping up with his Irish brogue, and he had the Holy Spirit, man. He was on fire for God as an 80-something-year-old man. And he looked me in the face, and I can still to this day, I can still feel this, as if it happened the other day. He saw me get up and he came over because see, Ed Swain had been delivered from a life of sin. And when he came up, he looked at me in the face and the Holy Spirit was on upon him. And he took his little bony finger and he put it in my face. He said, you just hang on, boy. And he said it, but with like such conviction, but it was like the Holy Spirit just entered my life because that's what I needed. You know what I mean? He knew this and he understood it and he knew the battle. He understood what it was like to have spiritual battle in his life. And just that one short little statement from him in the power of the Holy Spirit gave me strength. And it still ministers to me to this day. So I say all that to say this. Next month, I'll, I've been a Christian for 50 years. That would have happened 50 years ago. And the church is 125 years old. And at the 100th anniversary, I came here and I also spoke. And what's strange is now it's the 125th and I'm here still by the grace of God, you know? And um, I was thinking how many changes took place from the first 25 years to your 100th anniversary? Huge amounts of them. The breakdown of the family, rampant drugs, you know, uh, just all of the things that took place in those 25 years. And now I'm looking thinking, look at the changes that happened 25 years from then till now. These last 25 years. And the family is tragically, in many ways, almost decimated in our country. And even good families and good marriages, 
the kids are being assaulted and taken captive by unbelievable things. And we're watching something take place, we're watching an evil, and I, and I say this without giving interpretation, an eschatological interpretation about the last days, but I absolutely know this. This is an antichrist spirit that we are watching rise up globally because it is completely antichrist. And so, as I'm watching this take place and I'm seeing the extent of evil, and I've shared this with our church, I'm sharing it with you. The reason why you know this is antichrist spirit is because there has never been a world order, meaning a world power, Rome, Babylon, Greece, Medes, Persians, whatever. You've never had a world order that has rebelled against the creator God to the level of telling us that men are women and women are men. Get the political stuff out of this. I don't want you to think about this politically. I don't care if you're a Democrat, Republican, I don't care what you are. You need prayer. But I can say this. That is a spiritual assault on the very creation of God itself. It is not political. And if they can make, if the if demonic influences can make you admit to that, to something that has been known from the foundation of the world until now, do you realize the power of that deception? And what that does to a human mind? Years ago, we were talking about this. I had a tennis ball and I threw it to a guy in our church, Andy. I go, Andy, what shape is that ball? And he goes, it's round. I go, no, it's not, it's square. And you're gonna say it's square. I'm gonna ruin your life. I'm gonna take your job. I may even take your children because you're not teaching them what we wanna teach them. This is the kind of evil that we are seeing in our culture today. And you and I are called to be witnesses for Christ and to live out our faith in Christ in a culture like this right now. Do you understand what I'm saying? How many people feel adequate to be able to do that in this day and age? No, you don't. But Paul said, who is sufficient for these things? None of us are, and apart from him, we can do nothing. But I wanna tell you something, what I was sharing with you. I knew when I walked into this church 50 years ago that not one person could understand where I was or what I was coming out of. But the Holy Spirit of God speaking through a man, a prophetic word that revealed the secrets of my heart, the spirit of the living God began to change my heart. And whether people prayed with me and could understand me or not, the love of Christ being expressed through them built up me in my most holy faith. And one old man, 80 years old, coming down to a 22-year-old man saying, you just hang on, boy, gave me the ability to be able to walk out my faith for another few weeks until the next time we were praying and seeking God's face and God used it. But I knew this church, it didn't fit me and my culture and what I was coming out of. So don't let any demonic influences make you think that God can't use you right now in this day and age when we're living. Because he can. We need Christ in us. And when I say this, when I mention this thing about, I want you to know something. I don't care what anybody has caught him. All manner of sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, man. I don't care if somebody's a homosexual. I used to be with homosexuals. One of my guys used to shoot dope with was a homosexual. And he was a usher at the Catholic Church stealing money out of the plate to get high. Come on. Lesbians, it's, that's no big deal to me. It means nothing. But I want to tell you this, it's sin. Just as much as anything else is sin. Heterosexual sin, you name it. Sin is sin. And if somebody's got such a tragic confusion in their mind that they don't even understand their own gender, man, I have nothing but compassion. It's heartbreaking. What happened to somebody that that could take place? And so we're called to have compassion, but having compassion on somebody caught up in anything doesn't mean that we approve it. If somebody had come up to me in this church when I came to Christ and said, you know what, Flick, man, your, your whole family's alcoholics, your life's been messed up, you're doing this, you know what, you're probably born that way. You probably got some kind of genetic propensity to this. You know what, here's a needle and here's a bag of dope. We love you so much. It's okay, you know what? I would have been dead before I was 23. This is the truth, because 25 of my friends all died because of the lifestyle I was in. We were, 
It, this wasn't just let's have a few parties and stuff. That was our life. And they all died. And I would have been dead too. And I would have been dead before them because I had less controls on my life than they did. I had no support system. Most of them did. They still died. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So we're called to minister in this day with compassion of Christ, with the understanding of Christ in circumstances that we know Christ can save out of. The power of Christ can change the heart. We don't understand sometimes what God through Christ has done in us and for us. Do you know that you're being, right now, you're, how many people here are believers in Jesus? I'm hoping, come on, come on. You're a believer in Jesus, you know what? You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? There's no other creation ever created by God on the face of the earth or in the heavens above that is like you. I'm not talking about you like you're something special. I'm talking about you as a believer. You're being made a whole new creation. And one of the reasons is, I believe, is because of the reality of sin and suffering. Because I believe that because of Christ saving us out of sin, we are going to know God in a way that no other creation on the face of the earth knows God. I'll tell you what, angels don't know mercy. Angels don't know Christ. It tells us in 1 Peter that angels long to look into these things. As a matter of fact, it's a reference to the Ark of the Covenant where the angels are seated atop the mercy seat, the cover that goes on it, and the two tips of the wings are there, and the angels are looking down. They're looking at the cover, but inside that thing is the law itself, the moral law that governs the lives of every living human being on the face of the earth, whether they want to believe it or not. And so they're looking down in there, and they're seeing this mercy seat that covers the sins, and it's a glimpse of Christ. The angels long to look into the salvation and the mercy and the love of Christ that you and I sometimes just take for granted. We don't even understand how great it is, man. You're being made a new creation. Isn't that a marvelous thing? Somebody ought to say amen. Come on. God's doing this. And so the power of God is in you. I tell you what, I believe that I've suffered more because of unbelief in not believing who I am in Jesus Christ than I ever did from any battles I had or any falls I might have had or any sins I had to struggle with. God wants us to know who we are in him. The scriptures I had sent to Dan were these two. Jesus speaking to Peter. He says to him, who do you say I am? Speaking to the disciples, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, you know what a lot of times people think? People think that that means that hell is coming against the church. The truth is, in Jesus' name, the church is coming against hell and its gates aren't going to be able to keep you out. It's not going to be able to keep you from speaking the word of Jesus Christ and having people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe there's a hunger for Christ now in our nation, maybe more than has ever been in the history of the world, but the church is living in fear because they don't know how to deal with the changes that they're witnessing right before their very eyes. And yes, Christians are living in fear to speak. Even what I just spoke now. But everybody knows it's true. Why are we doing this? The disciples, when, when Zach, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit after he spoke and said his name will be John, after the angel had silenced him, said this, that Christ was going to come so that we might be able to live in him in holiness without fear all the days of our life. God wants us to be a people that have boldness of faith. I'm not talking about stupidity. I'm not talking about going out and trying to beat people over the head and screaming uh, truth of Jesus Christ. And the, just you living your life and following Christ becomes a testimony against this world. When Jesus said, the world hath hated me because I reprove it of its sin, 
Jesus didn't go around the whole world in the Gentile world reproving it of its sin. And he only spoke and reproved people of sin, generally, who were the Pharisees. And even then, it's not in the scriptures all the time. Jesus' very life was a rebuke to the sin of the world because he had Christ in him, because he was the Christ. I think that sometimes there's a, there's a, there's a delusion in evangelical circles in this that if we were just more like Jesus, we would be changing the world, right? Did you ever hear this? You understand what I'm saying? If we were more like Jesus, we would be changing the world. More people would be coming to Jesus. I question that. Because you know who was the most like Jesus? Jesus. Jesus was a lot like Jesus. And Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. He couldn't have been any more holy, couldn't have been any more gracious, couldn't have done any more signs and wonders, couldn't have not spoke any more like no man has ever spoken, could not have spoken with any more authority than he ever spoke with, but he came to his own, Jesus, who's exactly like Jesus, and he didn't change the world that was around him. But yes, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh, and the Spirit of God began to speak, and Peter speaks the first sermon, and thousands come to be believers in Jesus Christ, we begin to see that work. But the truth is, is that, of course, it had huge influence. But it took decades, centuries to change the world as people believed in Jesus Christ. But they believed in Jesus Christ in different settings than you and I. For most of us up until this time, it's been easy to believe in Jesus. I've not suffered really too much because of Jesus. I had people call me a tomato head or give me the finger or something like that. You know what I mean? Come on. You know, I can think I can handle that persecution. I went home and cried for a few days, but then I was all right. Do you understand what I'm saying? But now it's a little different. Now the stakes are a little higher. You can lose your job. Not get a raise. Be removed from school. Have your children removed from your home in some places. It's getting a lot more serious. And it's all because of Jesus. It's all because the world hates Jesus. And if you're followers of him, he says, if the world hated me, it's probably not going to like you too much either. It's going to hate you as well. So if we were more like Jesus, it doesn't mean we're not to be more like Jesus so we can transform the world. That's Jesus' work, and he returns in power. We're to be more like Jesus because as Christ works in us and through us and brings people, he is building his kingdom. The kingdom, this kingdom is not his kingdom. Well, this kingdom is, but not the kingdom of this world. It's not his kingdom. This is Satan. That's Satan's kingdom. But Jesus has called us, and we're going to be able to prevail against the gates of hell. I've witnessed this. I've seen this. I've seen God break through in areas and do certain things, man, that are just astounding. I'd like to see an increase of genuine signs and wonders as God begins to manifest himself in that kind of power, which I really actually believe is going to begin to take place before Christ returns. And I'm not talking about, you know what I mean? And I'm not... I'm not trying to put this saying they're not good. I believe there's touches of God and manifestations of God's spirit. Where we pray and somebody gets healed of a back injury or headaches and other things like that. But deep and and genuine and powerful, I'm, I'm cautious about how I use the word miracle because we can kind of like cheapen it. But I don't want to cheapen the fact that God absolutely in his mercy and his presence working among us can do astounding things. But we have a guy at our church in Mike Perry. He's been paralyzed since he was five years old from a polio vaccine. I want to see Mike walk. That's a miracle. I want to see people born blind see. The kind of works that Jesus did. And are they happening some places in the world? Yes, they are. I hear reports of that. I don't see documentation a lot, but I'm sure there may be some that are taking place. But do you believe that God in Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? You just sang the song, you better. Right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So 
He is not bound. We bind him. And I'm confessing to you that it's my unbelief that so many times. We were singing a song and I was with Todd and it was talking about, you know, how God can do anything. I said, you know something with God? You know what can stop God in his tracks? <laughs> my unbelief. The unbelief of his own people can hinder the work of the Holy Spirit. We've got the word of God. We've got our prayer and communion with God himself that is intended to build into us and strengthen us in the most holy faith. And as we grow in faith in Christ, believing in him and who he is and who we are in him, that his spirit is able to manifest himself in ways that he can't if we don't. One of the things, I want to leave you with a few thoughts as Christians because this is intended to be an encouragement to all of you because I would say this, I say this to our church, I say this to individual people when I talk with them. And I don't know why this happened to me, but when I first became a Christian, a lot of the things that we see happening now in our culture, I, I saw those things. I knew that's where we were going. I knew we were heading toward persecution. And it, things were good back then. There was still a pretty much basic Christian morality that was accepted by the nation in general. It was in the middle of being broken and changed at that time. And by the way, you know what the key was to breaking and changing that? It was all about breaking sexual morality values. Do you remember that? If you can't love the one you're with, if you're not with the one you love, then love the one you're with. There you go. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Do you remember that? That's what took place. Because make no mistake about it, man. Sex ain't about sex. Sex goes far deeper than just a physical relationship between people. It, it touches people at the depth of the core of their being. It's talking about their value of themselves and how they view yourself, their image. All of those things are connected to the sexual relationship. That's why if you counsel people or work with people, you'll see people who were sexually abused and they are still suffering from the effects of it because it had such a deep effect on them, which is, by the way, why so many people get caught up in all manner of sexual sins, homosexual or heterosexual male or female. It's everywhere. But that's silence. You're not told that. But if you work with people, you'll find out almost invariably there's some kind of abuse somewhere along the line where that gets entered into the mind, whether actual physical sexual abuse or things that are said or things that are done or views that are put upon them when they're a child or something they pick up from their peers. There are things, there are reasons why we have our ways of thinking on every level. And I'm so thankful that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, is the one who works to break through the lies for all of us, no matter what measure we believe something, to transform us by the renewing of our mind. That's the work of salvation. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. So, if I were to say to you, if I were talking to you like you were my brothers and sisters in Christ, which you are, aren't you glad? The first thing I would say for us as Christians, we need to be prepared for rejection. We need to be prepared for rejection. Do you know why I believe that's true? Because Jesus did that with his own disciples. Read Matthew 24, 25, read Matthew 16. Read the Bible. Read the New Testament, and you'll see how many times the Gospels, you'll see how many times Jesus prepared his own disciples for the fact that, you know what, things may not be easy for you. You're going to have some tough times for my namesake. Look at the Apostle Paul. Read his ministry credentials in Corinthians. You know what I'm saying? It's like unbelievable. One time I was reading, I said, man, Lord, couldn't you cut Paul a break? But I want to tell you something, the genuineness of his faith shined. And even more than that, we read the words and we get encouraged because he said, you know what? Slight affliction. It's, just light, it's light affliction. Light affliction? Being beaten five times, 40 stripes minus one, three times with rods a night, two times shipwrecked. Wouldn't one be enough, Lord? No, two times get shipwrecked a night and a day in the sea. And he goes on and on of the things that he experienced for Christ's sake. 
But look what the Spirit of God did through Paul, who wrote about 13 books of the New Testament, and how many countless millions upon millions, even billions of people have been believers, strengthened and built up by their faith in Jesus Christ because of the writings of Paul and what he went through. So by the way, if you're today, personally, side note, going through something, there might be some pain, sorrow, difficulty, struggles, temptations, fears are coming upon you. You're having a spiritual battle in your life. Get down and thank God and say, I know you're going to bring me out of this. I know you're trying to instill something into me that can only be done by me going through this. Jesus couldn't save the world without suffering. And there's a measure of suffering we all got. Every one of you, I know it. It's in there. Somewhere. Nobody may see it. Christ sees it. But God can accomplish things in you through that. Yes, there's going to be rejection. But I believe that what overcomes that sense of rejection, I'd rather be rejected by men all my life if I know God, the acceptance of Christ. You know what that's called? That's the fear of God, not the fear of man. I mean, we all created to be loved and we want to be loved and look at you know what this place is filled with love, so thankful. We're blessed. We're blessed. But we're to be seeking the praise that comes from God, not from men. And when we do that, you can be sure that there's gonna be some rejection. I mean, even what I was talking about when I came to Christ, I lost all my friends. Every single one of them. Two of them remained that they were kind of like friends, but it was never the same. But they had respect for what they saw Christ doing in my life. But everybody else, man, wanted nothing to do with me. And that was okay. The second thing I'd say to the church, how long are you guys in services here? How long are you? Huh? When you're done. When I'm done? Okay. I just got the blessing. <laughs> you guys are going to suffer. You're going to find out what suffering is now. The other thing I would say for people in this church right now, living in this state that we're living in, we need to guard our hearts for deception. You need to be guarded from deception. I did actually see this coming for a, a long period of time, but I'm, I'm telling you, I'm confessing to you, I never thought it would feel as strong as it does. It's powerful. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's powerful. It makes you question your faith sometimes. It makes you question, I wouldn't say my faith, but do I have the right interpretation? Am I misinterpreting the word of God? Am I rightly dividing the word of truth on this issue? And I'm just saying this, I have an interpretation of what it talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'll read that scripture for you. The coming of the lawless one, see any lawlessness rising up? Is according to the working of Satan with all powers and signs and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. And this is what I didn't suspect. I realize now the strong delusion I believe in my personal opinion, and I believe there's biblical support for it, it's a love delusion. It's a love delusion. That it's the loving thing to not only accept people, but to accept all manner of behaviors no matter how unbiblical they might have been for thousands of years. And it's very powerful because we all want to love like Christ loved, right? And that's why it's so important that we make a distinction between anything that a person is doing and a political or world deception that's trying to be pressed into us and persecute us if we don't accept it. 
We are always to be responding in love no matter what. But I do say that in regards to this whole deception issue, that when the disciples came out in Matthew 24 and they were brought and they looked at the temple and they were proud of the temple, the pride of the Jewish nation, inherited rebuilding. Oh, look, the temple. He says, you see all those things? I'm telling you the truth. Not one stone is going to remain on top of the other. This must have been, this is like a punch in the gut to those guys. Not one stone is going to remain on top of the other. They go, well, and, well, tell us, Lord, when will this be? And what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, there's three things that are in there. If you read Matthew 24, there's three things in there, and they're, and they're very mixed together, and sometimes it's hard to determine which one would only apply to the destruction of Jerusalem and which ones might be applying to the end days before Jesus' return, but it's, it's there, and people have their interpretations of that. But it's remarkable what Jesus said when he asked them those things. This, let no man deceive you, first thing. Which tells me out of the lips of Jesus that during those times, and it was true, it was true when they lived then, and, and right before he returns, there's going to be a time of deception that's like never been seen on the face of the earth. Satan is a great deceiver, isn't he? He's the liar and he's the father of lies. So if it says in Revelation that he's going to come down in these last days with great wrath, knowing that his time is short, how will Satan's wrath be expressed if he's a liar and deceiver? He's going to flood the market with lies and deception. Wait a minute. I got to look on the internet here. Whoops. There's a lie and deception. Another lie and deception. Another influence on the heart and the mind. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You stop and think of what has happened with our technology. Not that it's evil in itself, it's amoral, it's neither good or evil, it's how it's used. But stop and think that in this world, how the enemy has now access to the mind 24-7 in ways that he never did in the history of the world. It's, it's crazy. It's frightening in some ways. But yes, it's deception. And we need to guard ourselves against it. It's like the little song used to say all the time, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little ears what you hear, for the Father up above is looking down with love, so be careful little eyes what you see. It's all out there. TV, look nor TV looks mild compared to the internet. TV was the, was the beginning. You know, I, I, I have to say, when I was first and I was a newer Christian, you know, Nazarenes had taken a stand against movies, you know, and you'd get poked, you know, I can't watch movies, you know, other Christians, they could watch movies, you're not to watch movies, you know. I said, you know what, you can judge the Nazarenes for saying you can't watch movies, but I want to tell you something. You take a look at what movies have done. I don't think that there is any vehicle that has been brought into the world that has probably changed the morals of the world for the, for the worse than probably movies. You know, now we can have money on the internet. But they've, they've had a powerful moral influence, not generally for the good, in the world. And I say, you know what I say? I say those people were prophetic. They were prophetic. We ought to get down on our knees and thank God that those people saw that because they're proclaiming a warning because they saw where it was going even before it had begun. And what's tragic is, is that I look at our denomination, I look at where things are. Alex Cuban, when we first started the church, we, we just had a church of like 50 people. Working with people, six people were sexually abused out of that 50, four of them were men. Every single one of them messed up. And that was nothing new for me, odd, but Alex Cuby, who I love, great guy, father in the faith, great sense of humor, his big sin, he was dancing at ENC. I said, your big sin was dancing. I'm praying for a dancer. Lord, send me a dancer. If I got a dancer, if somebody comes in and confesses to me they're a big dancer, I'm going to say, man, thank you, Lord. It's, I've got one. I got somebody. Dancing? Come on. 
But I agree with it. I know what they meant. I'm not disagreeing with it. They were right. There were types of dancing you ought not to do. There's types of dancing now you ought not to be part of or to be watching. I agree with this. I know what they tried to say. But what I guess I'm saying is, is that, man, dancing looks light compared to the stuff that at least I've seen and people I talk with. It goes deep, man. Do you know what that means? That means that we need the Holy Spirit. This is not about guilt. This is not about shame. I always preface what I'm going to say when I speak about this subject with that. Because it's about prayer. And if you want to make Christians guilty, talk about prayer. And what I guess I'm telling you right now, guilt and shame with the issue of prayer are contradictory. Because God wants to remove your guilt and shame by the blood of Jesus Christ to give you boldness to come before his throne to receive grace and help in your time of need, not guilt and shame in your time of need. So when I say this, I'm not preaching to the church, trying to say we're so holy and these people aren't. I am saying this. I am deeply grieved that the prayer meetings in America have pretty much dried up. And I mean this. And we've prayed as a church. It's not, please, not trying to say, here we are, holy, holy, holy. But we did. We prayed a lot in our church all along. But I want to tell you the thing that I most grieve about in, in my own ministry is that it wasn't until about 15 years ago that I realized that we needed to have the whole church praying about the whole church. We prayed before our board. We prayed we had our, the prayer ministry my, uh, that Sue ran. We had um, prayer before services. Every time before I'd preach, I'd go into the boiler room when we were in the other building, go into another room somewhere else, and be praying before the service. All the time we had prayer. There was a lot of prayer in the church, but I realized something. It, it, we weren't drawing the rest of the body Christ in to be able to feel the need for this. I'm telling you now, if you're a Christian and you're looking at the world out here and you don't feel like, man, we better start crying out to God. Do you know that in the Exodus, terrible conditions there, taking babies and killing them after they're born, but they're doing that now. It's abortion. Treating them shamefully. Make bricks, no straw. And when he... Moses finally gets before God in his presence. God says, this is what God says. He goes, I've heard the cries of my people. And I wonder in America how far it's got to get before God starts hearing the cries of his people. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because he heard the cries. He raises up Moses. And you know the rest of the account of what took place. To call a whole church to prayer is not an easy thing. It takes perseverance because I don't think there's anything that's resisted more by the enemy than, of course, the word of God, but also prayer. Because it's in prayer, not that we're deliberately doing it, but that's where the church comes against the gates of hell. You see what I'm saying? And so you're praying for people, individuals, praying for the church, praying for what's going on. And I'm confessing to you, we've been praying now for 15, 16 years, and, and, and we've been continuing to increase. But I want to tell you something. One of the things you've got to fight against is people saying, well, I prayed for my Aunt Lily and nothing happened. You know what I'm trying to say? Well, you've got to deal with that. And we're called to prayer... And there's a, there's a lot about prayer that when we pray about it, that we're not going to always see instantly answers to specific prayers that we're praying. Sometimes we're going to pray prayers and it seems like the opposite is happening. How many know God's still working? You see? But I will tell you that you do see this. And Oswald Chambers in one of his devotionals made a statement years ago, and I remember it very, very distinctly. He said, people say that if we don't pray, the work will suffer. The ministry will suffer. He said, I question that. He says, it's if we don't pray, 
It's the life of God in us that suffers. Churches can be growing. A man from China, I've read a lot of books, and I, all the books I read when I was new Christian were the work of God in communist nations. Richard Wormbrand and, and other writers, a, man, a book called Faith Despite the KGB and others like that. And it's remarkable, by the way, how much that's what's happening in those communist nations are the exact things that are happening here in America. Please, people, wake up your eyes. It's communism. It's Marxism. It's a world order that's built on a godless ideology. And at its root, that's a large part of it. But in regards to praying... As the body of Christ takes seriously that call to pray as a people, you begin to see God doing things within the people themselves that just didn't happen before. And in many ways, I'm witnessing that. Now, I prayed at this church. We have many people who prayed at this church and loved it. But in regards to the number of people that were attending the church, the prayer meetings were small. It's not about guilt. It's not about shame. But do we as believers in Jesus Christ believe that if we as a church took seriously the call to prayer, that God would begin to move and change things, even though we're not always going to get specifically the personal request that we might pray, although in our praying you might find that the Spirit of God does a work in you and makes a change in you that you know is because of your crying out to God. And then I believe as that comes out, as the people continue to pray, that'll happen. There's a verse in Romans 12. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, and then listen to this. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. If you just followed what I said before that, I don't think that any of those other things happen much, those previous things that were said, unless we take that last statement seriously. He gives us the list of the things we ought to be seeking to do, our love being genuine and being fervent in spirit and all that. But doesn't that come out of us earnestly crying out to God as a people? And those are the things that end up being manifested. That's what I mean, is, is that it's not so much that we're all praying and getting specific answers to prayer all the time and healings and signs and wonders are taking place. But the he, do you know the greatest sign and wonder in the world is your salvation? Because you're being made a new creation. This is no joke. When God takes his Holy Spirit and puts it into a human being, and gives him a hunger and thirst for righteousness, translates him from the kingdom of, of this world, kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of his own son, into the kingdom of light. This is a miraculous work. This is an eternal work. <clears throat> and that work of your salvation is the great key to the work of the Holy Spirit on earth. This is why Christ sent the Holy Spirit, so he could transform you by the renewing of your mind. In closing thought and studying before I came here, I read something. It was a revelation. And we were talking about some of these things about that strong delusion. And Paul, when he's talking about the false teachers and the false prophets who were coming among them, and he was concerned about them being deceived. He says, and it's no, he says, and these false teachers and false prophets, he says, um, who come among you, he says, they are like disguising himself, trying to deceive you. But of course they're going to, because Satan, we ought not be surprised, because Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. In other words, 
From the very beginning, what did he do? How did he deceive Eve? Oh, it's good, man. Eat it. It's going to give you wisdom. You're going to be like God. Great. Angel of light. Oh, it's a good thing. We're still paying a big price for that one. But he, he deceives by making it look so good. And he's an angel of light. But when it says that, is that he transforms himself into an angel of light. And that word transform is different than the word transform that we just sang in Romans 12, 1 and 2, where we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. The one transformed by the renewing of your mind is the word metamorpho, and it's a word that is the same word you use for a cocoon, for a butterfly. But the metamorpho carries with it the idea that it's a, you, there's an outward change that takes place, but the reason why the outward change takes place is because there's an inward change that changes you outwardly. But the word that is transformed, use of Satan transforming himself into an angel of light is metaschitza something. I can't pronounce it because I'm not Greek. But in either case, it's the idea that he's able to transform himself, but he can't transform himself internally. He can only transform himself in how he looks so that he can deceive. But the work of God doesn't want to just change us and make us look good on the outside. The outside changes as God changes the inside. And I believe that that comes by prayer. How many people here found out me? I'm I pray and I'm crying out to God. I'm, he's changing me, man. That's where I meet him. I'm on my knees before God. Well, it happens to everybody does that. But then you get a changed church. Then you get a changed place. All the churches all started praying right now. I'm not going to tell you. Some people say, yeah, we're going to pray to church and we're going to take the town. We're going to bind the spirits and the demonic territorial spirits that are keeping the town. You know what? I hope so. I pray so. If that happens, we're going to rejoice and praise God and we're going to learn some things. But I want to say something. It doesn't matter. Not about changing the town. Just like I'm not praying and crying out to God so that he'll change you. I got to pray and cry out to God because I need him to change me. <coughs> I could say, well, that thing's got to really be changed. Lord, help him. No, it's not it. I'm needing to have my own heart, my own life, my own faith transformed and changed. Now, whatever results happen after that, that's all in his hands, right? I think if the church, the whole body of Christ in this nation began to take that seriously, it began to say, you want something? You want to do something? Don't, Dan might have a heart attack, but start coming up to Dan and say, we want to start crying out to God more. We feel the need. We understand, man, what's going on. And we realize we, as a people, as a church, we need to pray. And we're coming behind you, Dan. We're going to be at those prayer meetings. We're going to be seeking God's face with you. Because I understand, man. The church won't change. Nothing's going to take place, man. We need, we need God help. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So I would say this, devote yourself to prayer and last two real quick, won't no points, love one another. You know what was interesting? When I moved, to, I was actually already, I lived in Manchester before, but we moved to Church Street and when we moved, the town came over and they gave us a book, remember that Sue? And it was a Christian book. <clears throat> I don't know whether the church gave it to them and it had a whole bunch of history about the apostles and Christianity. And one of the things I remember reading that was about the Apostle John. And it talked about a lot of things. And it says, when John got older and he still preached, he, he was so old that he couldn't walk and stuff. And other disciples would carry him out and they put him before the people. And they said, every message that he gave was along the same line. My little children love one another because love is of God. I want to tell you something that I'm praying for. And you know what? We're experiencing it in much deeper levels. The church should be a refuge in a dry and thirsty land. When we walk in, we should be able, and I'm so thankful that in this house of God, I had that happen, man. These people didn't know nothing. They couldn't understand the thing I was coming out of, but you know what? I knew they loved me. I knew they were better friends to me than people I'd been on the street with for years. 
They would have done more for me. They were just because they had Christ in them. And it's a refuge. We know we've passed from death to life, that we love the brethren. We ought to love being together, having fellowship, going to pool parties, but also crying out to God together. Being joined together in spirit. There's a bond that takes place in the spirit as we begin to learn to pray with one another. And you know what? I'm encouraging you this. You got to pray through the problems of prayer. One person prays too loud, the other one prays too soft. Somebody doesn't pray, the other one prays too long. Somebody's praying at people, not praying to God. I don't care. Just get together and you'll learn how to pray. Leonard Ravenhill said it. You know how you learn how to pray? There's only one way. By the praying. That's how you learn how to pray. And it's true for a church. But when you start praying through and breaking through other things, and all of a sudden the mind of Christ begins to be expressed, and you come into the unity of the Spirit, and, and you know that it's the presence of God, and all of a sudden you're hearing people praying, and you're seeing the joining together of thought. It's like you've got one mind. Does it happen all the time? No. But it does. It takes place. You find the mind of Christ. And you know that you're in the presence of the living God. And I pray that as churches, in our church, we would begin to experience this on continuing and deepening levels all the time until we are one with him and he is one in us as he prayed in John 17. And the other thing is, finally, rejoice in the Lord. You know something? Philippians chapter 4 is the soundest psychological advice probably ever given in the world. You know who he's saying that to? Persecuted Christians. Persecution is a lot worse. You know why Philippian church started? Because Paul was put in prison after he'd been beaten. And then he's singing worshiping God, him and Silas in prison. And then what happens? The prison gets shaken and uh, the guy with the state job gets his, his life shaken a little bit. And the next thing you know, he said, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved in thy household. It was persecution that started the church. And it was persecution that was there in the church. And Paul was bonded with that church emotionally and spiritually because I believe of some of the experiences that he went through there. And you can see it in his writings to them. And in closing, he writes, you know, things might be tough. You got Udia and Sintichi, and they're having problems. You know what I mean? You got persecution. But can I give you a little word of encouragement? Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That word guard means like a garrison of soldiers that God puts around your heart as instead of being bound up and drawn into the fears, cares, concerned, anger, bitterness, immorality of this world, you're praying and crying out to him and rejoicing in him and he guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus from that junk getting in there. So rejoice, be thankful. The joy of the Lord is your strength, Nehemiah said. And you know what? When he said that, it was because the Spirit of God was starting to fall on him in conviction because they had realized all that they had gone through and the captivity and all of that was because of their sin. And they suddenly saw things differently. Can I tell you what's going on in our country? We've got sin problems. And that's the problem the problem. That's another whole big long message. It's probably about 50. But all I can say is this. That I believe is where the church should be seeking to aim in the next 25 years. I'm not saying that for this church. I'm talking about every church. I'm talking about the churches in America. America needs wake up. And if everybody else doesn't wake up, we can wake up. Right? God can use, speak, encourage, strengthen us. No matter what the circumstances. Nothing new under the sun. Nothing's going on in this world that hasn't gone on before. Nothing, no persecutions here. Yeah, there's new technologies and all that, but the principles behind it's still all the same. And God built his church, and Gateshill could not prevail against it then. Nothing's changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can rejoice. We can give him thanks. We can give him praise. We can honor him. We can call upon his name and be encouraged. Encourage one another. Encourage one another daily while it is called today. I love that verse. Is it today, today? Is today, today? Is today, today? It is, isn't it? Well, you know what? I want to encourage you because we need to be encouraged today, right now.
by our brothers and sisters in Christ, by our fellowship one with another. Because we can have a tendency to get discouraged. This is not home home on the range where seldom is heard a discouraging word. This is America, Manchester. So anyway, good to be with you guys. It is such an honor that you asked me to come here to just share my heart with you guys. And it, uh, it, was, a, it was actually a great honor and a blessing. To, and it is now as I look out, I see some of the people that I know that I haven't seen in a long time. I love especially Don Fish's ice cream, but otherwise, and I go out there and I buy it and you don't even know it. And I saw you out there, Sandy, the other day. They came back from mountain biking and got an ice cream cone. So good to see my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I pray that in some way you just look beyond me and who I am or what I am or anything because I'm nothing. But something that the Holy Spirit may have said will build you up and encourage you in your faith. And some of these things you see here, the Spirit of God will implant in your mind and they'll guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you so much for this church, for what it's meant in my life, what you did. It's an astounding thing. We even sang that song, Who Am I, Lord? But you know us. You are so intimately acquainted with all of our ways, every fault, every failure, every sin, every act of righteousness, every act of self-denial, every desire to serve you, every desire to please you, all of this, you see every bit of it. And you are the one who is for us, you're not against us. And I pray that right now there be people in this room who would suddenly begin to be able to see and know who they are in Christ, what you have given them, they have the Spirit of God himself who created the heavens and the earth living in them. Christ in them, the hope of glory. Lord God, remove the blinders from our eyes. Let us rejoice in your great salvation. Let us rejoice in your mercies. Let us rejoice in your faithfulness. Let us rejoice in your forgiveness. Let us rejoice in the times that you, you speak to us and draw us near to yourself. And I pray that this house, as I pray for our church and we pray for others, make your house a house of prayer. For many nations, for everybody, Lord. And I believe that that many nations had to do with the fact that church had to be praying for it to become that. And Lord God, many nations are coming into this nation. The doors have been opened wide. And we can wonder why and be concerned about it and all that, but regardless of the fact we believe that you're a God who saves people from all nations. Your spirit's poured out on all flesh. And whoever's coming across these borders, coming into our cities, coming into our towns, they're people who need Christ if they don't know you. And some of these people actually are believers in Christ, and they need a house of God to be able to pray and seek your face in and to serve you in. So, Lord Jesus, we just pray that you would help your church in this nation to begin to take the call to cry out to you more seriously, devotedly. And I believe we'll see your hand begin to move. I thank you so much because there are, there are many things that are taking place that we see on the horizon. We're starting to see the cloud the size of a man's hand. And Lord, we are going to continue to keep coming back and crying out to you until the rains come the outpouring of your spirit that we're longing for. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, brother. Would you stand with me, please? The Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. And may his glory be reflected in your face in every conversation and in every relationship you have to his glory now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.